Let's go for a little ride. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read an article this week. I watched a movie. This week, we are covering The Fast and the Furious. I never thought we would. This is not something I ever imagined we would ever cover. <laughs> Literature? Written material? Man. I, this is huge. This is huge. This is one of the biggest franchises you can name. Uh, it the is, seventh highest grossing ever. It's astronomical. Which I saw places it between the countries of Togo and Montenegro for gross domestic product. <laughs> I love that <laughs> juxtaposition. <laughs> Good Lord. I'm I'm really excited to really open this up because I think this is a franchise that it has morphed and changed and grown over. It is now 20 years old, and it is a different thing now than when it started. And so uh, this is a wonderful opportunity to open this up and really talk about how this came to be and how in the world it has gotten to where it is now. We'll talk about some car culture. That's what draws people in. The Drew me in. That was my thing. I loved it as a kid. (laughs) All that stuff. But also how it changed because Fast Five, which interestingly was the first favorably reviewed film in the franchise. (laughs) There's only one actual race in that one. And I think it's circumstantial to the escape of, you know, it's not right. It's changed. It's changed what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But the other thing that ties it in and what keeps the people coming back is family. Mm -hmm. And it's said over and over it's and over It's been there from again. the beginning. That, and it's yeah. I'm, I'm happy for it to have morphed and turned into a different thing. It's more of an action adventure thing now. It, it is honing in on themes that are present from the very beginning. Those are lines uh, in the original film, and I'm glad that they're carrying through and yeah. kind of directing where this is going, even if it has gone to the moon. I don't, you know what? <laughs> so we'll see if the, where those thematics fit in over time and even from the source material. And I'll post a link in our show notes. Please check out our show notes. Please. Of a supercut video where someone put all the times that the word family is used <laughs> over the saga. And it's quite a hilarious oh, montage. No. <laughs> That's beautiful. So let's just hop into the thing I read, the original article which was written by a guy, Ken Lee, 25 years old at the time. He's in New York City, not Los Angeles, Southern California, where the first one takes place. In what year? So 1998 is when the article comes out. It's called Racer X. And so he had witnessed the theft of a car from the front of a tuner shop in Queens Mm. and became interested in this world. So notice how a theft is his. Okay, okay entryway in he reports on it he's a reporter for the new york daily news which is more of a square family friendly paper and so he puts a piece about it but the real piece he freelanced to vibe which has more of the illegal aspects and the reason he did the story here new york city versus learning about it and then going to la or something owning a car in new york is insane he says Ken, he still doesn't own one, (laughs) you know, like it's that's so it's even more underground. It's more of a fascinating part of this world. Interesting. Because you're really stretching it. And so the article, he follows this 30 year old guy, Rafael Estevez around Washington Heights in the Heights, Hmm? how we could have had two of the exact same place week after week. Uh, Of course, various other neighborhoods, makeshift tracks doing this at night. Illegal. We dare to not mention that. None of this is allowed. Yeah, racing on the public on a public road is not not like a thing you can or should ever do. So, <laughs> right. so he's following illegal activities. Estevez 
interestingly, some stuff I pulled from the article, more of an income than a regular job. He was like, for four years, I lived off of racing wow. every night after 10 o'clock, switched up the places, made four or five grand a week. Wow. Didn't have a job, didn't need one. Crazy. That I mean, it's mostly gambling yeah. for who would win. Absolutely. It, it's not so much the, you get my car, you know, like Hot Wheels trading, right? which is in the movie right, somewhat. Right, right, right. That wasn't as much. And the money... A lot of it, unfortunately, there would be a lot of drug dealers who'd come out with money that they would put into their cars, not knowing anything. Mm. And then this guy Estevez, he'd have his fixer upper and you know make money because they see this imported car that they think, oh, that's not a muscle car. That's not so. That's part of the culture as well, yeah. which we'll get into when that comes up. Right. I just had to look into Ken Lee, the guy who wrote it. But you know, you usually think, well, is he having millions of dollars in Beverly yeah, Hills somewhere? Yeah, does he somewhere? have any like, stake in the did he in write this it? franchise what? at all? I mean, it, yeah. it, I, I don't know what the credits came down to the original film, but it, is it credited? I mean, does he have any stake in this? He has a technical credit for the first film. So what happened was Universal gave him a bunch of money up front and then more for every year that they're optioning it because it hmm. didn't come out until 2001. Mm -hmm. And then when they moved forward on it, he got another six-figure lump payment. Gotcha. And he did help the screenwriters, of which there were four for the first one, right. research elements. But the beyond, so this is a part of it, is the multicultural mix of street racers. Yes. But basically none of the original article made it into the first film, right. except for those elements. What I was picking up on when you, in the story that you were laying down, it was the yeah. fascinating idea that somebody could live in this world and and support themselves in this mm -hmm. world i can see where they started to hone in on what was really fascinating about this and what they could bring to the screen uh you know it almost sounds like batman you know <laughs> and waiting for the sun to go down and and you know making enough money every week that you didn't you don't need a job this is the world you're living in when it's such it's a dangerous because it's illegal yeah. yes 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 yeah. uh, 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 that in, instantly starts sounding very cinematic Oh, yes. So, yeah. So speaking of the illegal cinematic stuff. So what's interesting with Lee is the plot of the movie is closer to what he was trying to write with the article hmm. because he wanted to uncover some car theft ring in his research. Really? But then nothing. So he edited all those kind of whimsies out. And then they took the article, which has nothing to do with a theft ring. And, you know, cry, like even and put later a crime in the, plot in the middle. Of yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. And made a movie about that. So that's interesting. That's that really is, that's really interesting. That's really fascinating that he felt that he was onto something takes it out and it ends up just becoming about the the scene that is happening mm -hmm. uh, out on the streets of New York and LA and those types of things and then lo and behold it gets optioned and now the filmmakers are trying to pigeonhole that into the center of the plot of crime yeah. ring <laughs> and then I found a funny literary tidbit so one of the first cars that ever appears in literature is in the children's story the wind in the willows mm. with toad and ratty mm -hmm. and mole this came out in 1908, which is the year that Henry Ford produced the Model T. And what's funny about it is it's also the first car theft in literature <laughs> because Toad says, oh, there cannot be any harm in only just looking at it. I wonder if it starts easily. And then no, Toad, no. <laughs> so the first car is also stolen <laughs> in the same in the same story from the beginning, <laughs> from the beginning. Yeah. So here's where the film comes in then. And I know you know more about this. It was sort of trying to be a ripoff of Point Break, <laughs> which is an undercover agent investigating robbers, develops a relationship with the leader. But instead of the surfing community, it was this burgeoning street racing community. Right, right. 
just a year before Gone in 60 Seconds came out. But of course, that's not a massive franchise. No, that's actually uh, it's interesting you bring that up. That was also one of my another one of my favorite movies as a kid. I was into cars, <laughs> car movies as a kid always. But Gone in 60 Seconds, like you say, it, it did not spur any sequels. It didn't have a franchise at all. It itself was a remake of a 1970s car movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, though it didn't spur a, a f- massive saga franchise, it definitely made an impact. And I, it's really fascinating that these movies are circling around this. Uh, I, and I, I'm finding myself really uh, fond of Fast and the Furious uh, and the risk it was at the time. Why is that? Because take the saga away from it. All these, all these sequels that have happened, take that out of it. This, this is the first one. None of it exists. They're grasping at smoke. They've got this article. There's something happening on the streets of New York and LA. Uh, and it takes them actually going down there. The filmmakers mm-hmm. go down there and experience it. Then the cast goes. When, once they actually start casting this thing, Paul Walker and Vin Diesel go down. Because they were experience. nobody, right? They're, they were no, not. they're really nobodies. Paul Walker has been in a, a couple movies. The biggest thing he had on his name, it comes out the same year, Joyride. It's, it's a little uh, a B-horror movie, on the, like road movie, just barely getting his name to where he's getting some lead roles and some really low-budget movies. So this is positioned as a, as a studio movie. It's low-budget, low-risk. But it's high genre. So they're mm-hmm. trying to see if they can position him into more of a uh, bullet, <laughs> you know, kind of character. Yeah, because he literally resembles Steve McQueen. Exactly. So yeah. they, uh, Vin Diesel at this point is a supporting actor. He had done it. Uh, uh, he had directed an indie movie. Uh, he had just come off of doing that. He had been in uh, the biggest thing he had really been in to be visible was he was a supporting character in Saving Private Ryan. But he's not not in it a bunch. But you do. He is there. Oh, OK. So th- these are people who have careers and they're they're on their way, but they're they're more pulled from the art scene. And Paul Walker is on his way up to maybe be a studio leading man, maybe. And then the title of it was originally called Redline, which the all director... the way through into post production, it was Redline. <laughs> yeah, and then it was also Racer X, Race Wars, Street Wars, like really lame. <laughs> Lame stuff you would ask me to look into because there is another film called The Fast and the Furious. Yes, yes, I, I'm interested in actually the the now this the cinema history link. Yeah, because we'd mentioned Gone in sixty seconds. We'd mentioned they're pulling from Bullet, and they're visually pulling from Bullet too. See the mm-hmm. late sequence of this movie where they're chasing down Johnny Tran, and then they have the the street race with the Charger. That is all designed to mirror the coverage, oh, really? the shots from Bullock. Uh, going down the hills of San Francisco is be- meant to mirror and evoke exactly that going through the hills of Los Feliz. Oh, interesting. Absolutely. So yeah, the title, The Fast and the Furious, is from a 1955 B-movie by Roger Corman, who is the B-movie king. He has 418 producer credits. Good God. <laughs> <laughs> and this is about a wrongfully accused convict. He escapes. He's holds a woman hostage in her sports car and then goes on a race to secure his freedom to Mexico. It's all available in the public domain. So I'll post a link to it. And I <laughs> looked at it. Yeah. And it's like the, I mean, it's from the fifties. So it's the old cars that look like they're from the first Le Mans race. Yeah. Like this yeah. thing, talk about stunts. This looks so dangerous. <laughs> it's in black and white, but I'm sure it's like, God, they probably, they probably had yeah. no filming protocol. So the creative team saw that he had made this. And they said, oh, that's the title. 
with not mm. race wars. <laughs> so, race what wars. is that? Red you line. Know? Get that crap out of here. Yeah. So, so now we can we gotta... evoke old cinema. Now we can now subtly to movie people mm-hmm. go, hey, is this a remake? Is this a, is this a, <laughs> is this, a, I know this, you know? Yeah. So Universal gave Corman a deal, which he said he was grateful for because it's like they could have just stolen it and then I could have sued them and then I would have lost and it would have been a bunch of money <laughs> nonsense. But That's they said, funny. hey, we want to make a deal. We just want the title rights. But he said, I want stock footage from your vaults of all universal stock footage that you have. Whoa. And they said, sure, because he's still in the B movie scene. Yeah. So he took it and made a sci-fi channel film called Cyclops. That's cool. That's some really Very, cool he's, negotiating. He's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, okay. And get a little bit of a payday. And uh, I want uh, give me some footage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'll uh, make something out of it. Like <laughs> yeah, he's continuing like, to work, making a bunch of B movie stuff. Now TV. you're going to partner with me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So he's all good for it. That's great. Uh, during the filming, speaking of scary car scenes, for, I saw for Fast and Furious 1, 78 cars wrecked cool. on and off screen. Cool. And then you said it was a small budget. As yeah. Well. The, it, it was, the, the whole budget for the movie is. I think $38 million ranging okay. into the $40 million range. The car budget was only uh, a few million. Craig oh, wow. Lieberman uh, was the technical advisor uh, and owned the Supra that ends up being the star car, the one of replica of which was just sold. Mm-hmm. So one w- way they actually got around the budget here is instead of building these cars all from scratch, they ended up renting the hero cars. They went and cast the cars themselves. They held casting calls for cars uh, and they cast each one of these cars as a character car and then replicas of that visual replicas strictly were built of those cars to be the stunt cars. So it was very interesting how they attacked it for the first film in a budget-minded way. If you look at the movie, the cars are in very basic colors. They pop out from any other cars you'll see on the screen and they are connected by this type of visual Design And that's not to meant to, to mirror what was going on authentically in the car scene, but to help paint the picture of what cars and what characters you're supposed to pay attention to. And it's very yeah. basic color theory. And I actually think it's beautiful the way it's turned out now. Uh, well, even the poster kind of emphasizes later. that. Yeah, it's its own unique thing. And as far as the first film, Vin Diesel and most people probably were like, oh, this is, you know, a hot summer thing. It's one and done like it can stand on its own as a piece about street right. racing. And then, lo and behold, we're on F9, which is literally the least amount you can make it and still have the title, the title be understandable. It, like this series, this fr- this franchise is the microcosm to look at of like how titles have been contorted in the last 20 years <laughs> and how we got to the like there was that phase where one word titles were just everything. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like this has gone through all the hallmarks of what we've wanted right. to do with titles. Because the second time. one was Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> Which also Vin Diesel is not in because he said, oh, I'm not going to do that. And then Rob Cohen, the director, they both went and did Triple X. Which was successful. And similar in style. Very, very similar in style. That honestly had more of the tone and feel. But similar in style to the newer ones, which is like maybe they were definitely you know, five maybe steps they were ahead. ahead of the game. Yeah. <laughs> and then for the third one, Justin Lin started out his film career with a 2002 Sundance hit better luck tomorrow and then made another studio film before Tokyo drift, which is completely different characters and setting from any, from the other previous one. So it's such a bizarre series, how it unfolds. And, and interestingly enough, and I, I rewatched the first one and I I went ahead, me and my wife decided to rewatch the second one just to get some like context of how 
quickly it starts shifting and how it started shifting. And I don't think the, the sequel is as bad as I was expecting it to be on a rewatch. And I actually found a lot of good in it. But one thing I wanted to highlight about why I found it so good in it is because I actually realized it's directed by John Singleton. So it's not like they <laughs> just gave it to anybody who didn't care. It's like, no, this is a real filmmaker who really cares. This is a black filmmaker uh, who really tried to make it into a an undercover crime movie kind of <laughs> yeah, you know. that's what he does yeah <laughs> so it's like it kind of fits in he's he's behind shaft he's behind he, you know he's yeah. behind all all of those kinds of things it makes sense that it would go to somebody like him it's interesting to see the choices made over the course of this franchise oh um, for sure because they they instantly start trying to piece it together and it stumbles and it, it i think by the third one i had stopped watching because uh, you know we totally lost all the cast and <laughs> I think I caught that one on home video. Um, but yeah, I, I, I haven't, admittedly, I haven't seen all of the movies. Well, and Justin Lin, the reason I brought him up for the third film, talking about how they're interweaving people and, and moving things around, his first film, the Sundance hit Better Luck Tomorrow, it's about two overachievers who become bored, enter the world of petty crime. It's an all Asian American cast. It's set in high school. It's pretty amazing for the time, the authenticity of it and how it's made. But it's the origin story to Han's character, how he's gone bad because world? of his past and his ideology about doing the wrong thing. Whoa. It's not endorsed by Universal, <laughs> but uh, it is just a character that he had in another movie that he made. And then he said, well, that's going to be one of the characters in Tokyo Drift. <laughs> and nobody said anything. And there it is now. And I think he's in the ninth one oh my God, as well. Amazing. So yeah, he's, he's been, he's been uh, opted into the family. And it's interesting, the people that are that have come back, they've brought out back most people, but then there are some people that they have not. Um, yeah. It's like Jaw Rule got replaced <laughs> by Ludacris entirely. <laughs> right. Jaw Rule yeah. is like one of the main street racers in the first one, not not connected into the plot, but he's in the first street race you really see on film. And he was responsible for the entire soundtrack. And one interesting thing about this soundtrack is it is one of the only soundtracks that I've ever seen that is a two-parter soundtrack. And the reason for this, because like, I was so interested yeah, for why? this, the original soundtrack drops with the release of the film in the summer. The film explodes into an unmitigated phenomenon. By the time of the release of the DVD, they were nearing $200 million. I mean, it was insane. This instigates that they put out a ton more product. Merchandising goes into high gear through that mm. fall and into Christmas. For Christmas and into the new year, they put out the second part of the soundtrack. Blows my mind looking at it now because I'm like, how are there two? Like, what does that? Huh? <laughs> Yeah. Um, but well, speaking of the of the success and it exploding and who's missing and Ja Rule just disappearing, <laughs> where did Vin Diesel go? Right. He's absent entirely from the second one, but he has a cameo in Tokyo Drift, which then cements him as the main character for four and onward. Right. But another similar to the Roger Corman situation where he's like, give me some stock footage and yeah. you can have the title. Vin Diesel said, I will not have an acting fee for that cameo if you give me the rights to the Chronicles of Riddick character. Ooh, nice. Yes. That's why the 2013 film, which is just called Riddick, was made with him, which I never followed any of that stuff. But I just thought it was no, funny. Another exactly. compromise with the studio. Yeah. So the critical reception of the first four films were mixed to negative, and then five and on were more positively received. And there's this emphasis change from street racing to crime and other things. But I was interested what your take is then on the first one having 
storytelling prowess, you know, what is the reason that you're like, oh, this holds up? Yeah, what stuck out to me and what I would really like to challenge people to go back and look at this movie and what they might find. This movie misdirects the audience about its main character for 40 minutes. We are brought into this film with this, with a taste of a truck being taken down and then you move straight into, it's visual storytelling, you move straight into underground street racing, tuner cars, and setting up that world. 40 minutes in, you get a hard turn when it's revealed that Paul Walker, the main character, Brian O'Connor, is an FBI agent working Mm. undercover to try to get to the center of what is going on with these trucks because the FBI and the police have honed in that they think they have to be connected with the import tuner street racing scene. So they've sent Brian O'Connor underground to get inundated with Dom Toretto, the biggest street racer they know is at the center of all the illegal activity going on down there to try to crack this case before things get out of hand. I think that misdirecting the audience for 40 minutes about who Brian O'Connor is is a level of filmmaking that the rest of the series does not attain again. I haven't seen every movie, I admit, but I really wanted to focus in on the original because I think the original sets apart. When you go back to visit this movie, I really implore you to look at it on its own because I think it is really special and it it should be seen as, I think, a classic. Well, it's interesting that it continues with crime and then that changes to heists and spy stuff and God knows what else. But that we're saying, oh, this is a new untested film. There's been movies about cars. People know about cars, but this particular street racing stuff. This important tuner stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Taking these Honda Civics and- (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. So the thing I saw, which you clued me into, imports to the US, this has been going on in Japan. They're not imports there, they're just there. So (laughs) there is a series, which is a manga and an anime series called Initial D. And then if you're in the if you're in the US, it's on Hulu, the anime series, 48 volume manga from 95 to 2013. It is about a high schooler who is a delivery driver and he learns about this world of street racing. Are you serious? It ran that long? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Because I knew it was 90s, but I was assuming it wrapped up by mid 2000s. Well, That's it was amazing. a syndicated, yeah, it was a syndicated, you know, manga comic series. It's amazing. And what's interesting and different about this street racing is it's done in the mountain passes outside the city. It's a particular type of street racing called toge, mm. which means pass in Japanese. Ooh, and the I particular, like yeah, style is drifting, which is hence the the Tokyo Drift. (laughs) That's where that part sort of it comes from. And then there was actually a live action version of the story, a film which came out in 2005 and was nominated for Best Picture at the Hong Kong Film Awards. Are you serious? I did not know that. I've got a chump change. But it's it's, it's much, much more technical, really in deep to the cars and Mm -hmm. the sport. Obviously, the Fast and the Furious stuff went the other way, but it started out in a similar place. And this yeah, it's series... the closest thing that I can think of, of Fast and the Furious before Fast and the Furious. Yeah. It, it really is the only thing that really has all the elements kind of <laughs> yeah. that, that, that adds up to it. And so how, how these artists got these elements, there is a consultant for the manga and anime, mm. Keichi Tsuchiya. He is known as the Drift King popularizes the use of drifting, even in non-drifting race events. (laughs) He popularizes it as a motorsport. He is also 
two-time Le Mans class winner, meaning Whoa, the cars really? are in different oh classes. Yeah. He won for his class of car in 95 and in 99. Oh, man. Where he won eighth overall and then second overall as well. Wow. That's amazing. If you're just joining us and interested in Le Mans, please go check out our uh, our episode on Ford Ferrari. We did a whole thing on Le Mans and all that. So please go check that out if you're just oh, joining yes. us. With, so I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, no, no. That's great. Go go back. That's why I was interested in it because I know how hard it is yeah. Yeah. to do all that. <laughs> yeah, that's why uh, I'm like, no way, you know? Yeah. So he was a stunt coordinator and stuntman for Tokyo Drift. Oh, sick. And then he's also, for the deep cut, he was a cameo. He acts in it. He's a fisherman where they're doing some drifting thing. And he says, you call that drifting? And it's like, nobody would know That's unless you're amazing. in Japan and in this world that that was him. Aww. But he, uh, it's a, I, I laughed when I watched the clip because I'm like, oh, I get it. That's he's so the drift funny. king and he's making a joke about how they don't know how to drift. That's great. I love that. Um, okay. I need to, and I, I honestly, I'm excited to go back and rewatch all of these through yeah. and through. I did the first two and I was expecting this, the drop off for the second one to be just so stark. And it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't as bad as I was thinking. It was definitely different. I'll be really excited to get back into Tokyo Drift. That's definitely, definitely one that I slept on. Leans into the car culture. Right. So I looked into the import scene stuff then, since that's what they should shifted away from i looked into an article on auto week it was huge that's the stuff that grabbed me as a kid that's the stuff that kept me buying things video games cars models that kind of stuff you know as far as me a kid going to the movies then going into being a teenager not too far from getting a driver's license that kind of thing very successful getting me interested in cars and and things like that. Um, I was definitely inundated into all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And there's a car scene in every generation. Hot rodding comes out of the post-World War II prosperity. Absolutely. Absolutely. American Graffiti is a film that played a key role in (laughs) reminiscing on owning a hot rod. My my original DVD I checked out has a history like I, I it's amazing they did this back in the day it just has like a history lesson behind the scenes video of just racing like the history <laughs> of racing and they talk about nascar like they, yeah, they yeah, talk yeah. about it all it's like yeah. a 20 minute thing and it has almost nothing to do with the movie it's just about <laughs> racing well that's before and, youtube where you couldn't find i know <laughs> it was like i found that so quaint to be on the dvd <laughs> yeah well how would you know i mean god <laughs> But here we are talking about it on a podcast. For real. The, the, the next thing that comes is the muscle car generation, the Mustangs you mentioned. Absolutely. And then somewhere in the late 80s, early 90s, small front wheel drive cars, the Civics, the yes. Integras, the Supras, the import scene starts out in California, the West Coast world, which is interesting that the article was about New York. Yeah. yeah. But it really, then they recentered it where it started in California. There was a big racer in this import scene on the West Coast, Adam Saruwatari. Mm-hmm. And he was observing from the films the family feeling they get. Because initially, it's a bunch of crazy kids having a good time doing crazy non-conventional things. Right. Driving vehicles to the track or the illegal track, having barbecues. There's still issues and beefs between people, but most everybody is out to have a good time. That sort of transcending race at least on the West Coast at the time, half were Asian, but the rest are from all different ethnicities and backgrounds. Yeah. Not even all rich kids who are getting the best equipment. A bunch right. of blue collar guys as well. I think spending- the filmmakers for the first one were really out to to depict this culture as 
plentiful and diverse as as they possibly could because yeah. everything you're saying i'm like i see all of that at, in the original i think that was so much of what they were trying to do is really authentically bring this multicultural scene to the mm-hmm. screen and then some of the family aspect stuff that also gets applied according to michelle rodriguez vin diesel changed the line he didn't like to incorporate the word family hmm. in the first one so he's <laughs> credited with being like no 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 this is what this is about and then the god they've held true to that for all of them but it's it's funny because yeah. it, it comes down in the into the the break for the third act and ted levine gets to deliver it and and he knows that paul walker's character is torn between his love interests with the mia character dom's sister and he leans in and he says they're all sorts of family brian that's something mm-hmm. that you're going to have to decide. It's still there. Yeah. It's still very present. And that first movie is about the Paul Walker being torn between these two worlds. He's he's found a world that honestly, maybe he feels like he belongs in a little bit better. What do you do? You have to make a choice of, of, of who you're going to be. And that's what this movie is centered down is. Well, who is Paul Walker's character going to be? And who is your family going to be? Exactly. And there's definitely aspects of that that have carried over, even though the tuner import culture has not. You know, the metaphor of extreme trust, they let people take the wheel while they yeah. jump out of a moving car, you know, <laughs> like you have to have that shared activities together. Eating communal meals yeah, yeah. is often featured in the films. Formidable females as well. Oh, man. In Strong the cast, which is not a part characters. of the tuner culture, particularly. Strong female characters. I've got to commend the the creative team on this. The Michelle Rodriguez, uh, Letty character and the uh, Jordana Brewster, Mia character. They're strong female characters. They're not damsels in distress. Mia, I mean, Michelle Rodriguez kicks ass. I don't know if I could say that on this podcast, but like she she is a fierce, she's yeah. a fierce character. She's, and she she, she throws uh, punches, man. She is on the she is on the team taking down these trucks. She is. And they build up the Mia character as being able to drive, being an equal part of this crew. But maybe somebody who's more college minded when she's mm-hmm. actually getting there. She's studying. That's what that's what is presented in the first film. But it doesn't come out of nowhere in the final act when they're trying to save Dom's crew from this trucker who's laying down the law. It's no surprise when Mia can drive the Supra. <laughs> yeah, it's they built that in. It's a, it's on purpose. They made these girls get driver's licenses because they had to be active in this plot. They could not be passive. And yeah. my, and though it might not be the necessary, we'll say the scene leans yeah. male. That means it is a huge choice for these filmmakers to go. No, we are female characters have got to be as strong as they can be to be authentic, serviceable characters in this plot. Right. And it's not just strong that like, oh, they're driving cars. But like you said, they're also not like I know Michelle Rodriguez pushed a lot to be like, no, this is how I would interact with men. This is how I would act if they treated me this way. I'm not going to be some floozy for the male characters like she pushed for that in the script. And they loved that input. And that's what I love about the what the the think tank that was around this movie there. Everybody it was really taking ideas from all sides. And I think that served them. So that pushes us to them changing the scope of the films. Obviously, big reason, money, which there's more of an audience for something that doesn't have to centralize on the niche thing of import car culture to just say, oh, we're going to make a big blockbuster action Hollywood thing. Right. This movie doesn't lend itself to a sequel. I would say they should have never made a sequel. And and, in the reality of this plot, when these uh, characters part ways in the final frames, they never interact again in the reality that they've set up. And I want to tighten down on the reality of this plot compared to what the movies are now, nothing in this film happens that probably couldn't happen in real life. The most outrageous thing that happens in this film is a Honda Civic going under a truck. 
and they yeah. still did it for real. <laughs> like, but you can't do that in real you life. You can't do <laughs> it in real life. Uh, they did have to modify those trucks to put them up yeah. about six inches. The, but after the everybody saw it, you they can't were do like, that. Can Don't I ever do that? attempt to do that. Yeah. It's not, but <laughs> yeah. they did at least do it for real. It's not CG. Uh, yeah. And that is the most outrageous thing that they put on screen. <laughs> well, yeah. And then speaking of the tuner culture, like not only is it waning in popularity, but also we'd be remiss to say, again, it's illegal. Like all yes. of it. So to propagate that in a nine part series to say, hey, let's have illegal street racing where people buy the die video game. Here's some Hot Wheels, kids. <laughs> yeah, no. So I think that that. Can you wait to yes, get your driver's the, license and wrap yourself around a pole? I don't yeah, it's the money of a broad audience. But it's also the fact that, oh, yeah, over time you cannot uh, endorse. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of made me think like. To round this out, kids don't do this. Like this is yeah. why it's now a which heists are also illegal. Now but- it's so about the spectacle that it can't be mistake mistaken for anything else. The right, first right, film is you're it, saying. It, it really flirts with being very real, and because it it's be based mis- on an article that yeah really <laughs> happened. These are real people. So, yeah, it's not by mistake that they've moved into the spectacle realm. I think there's a place for that. It's obviously successful. There's a I mean, people love it. People are excited for it. I'm I'm jazzed that 20 years later people are excited to go see this. So yeah, hey. But they already got 10 and 11 ready. Oh, you know, in the barrel, baby. (laughs) I can't wait to see what the title will be. I think just 10 is what the 10th is going to be. Just 10? No F. Just (laughs) Just 10 and Vin Diesel's face and people know what it is. Yeah, that's all you need. And, you know, we were thankful. (laughs) We were grateful. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you're a huge fan of this, I know my brother and sister-in-law love them for the absurdity. (laughs) Do you love them for the tuner car stuff? Do you wish there was more racing? Am I wrong? Is the first movie really cheesy and stupid? (laughs) And I'm just, they have always been that way. I I don't know. Come yell at me on Instagram. Yeah, it's the source. (laughs) Please reach out to us at IlliteratePod. Do you like these for what they've changed? Or do you wish there was more racing? Let us know. Yeah, what do you like about these things? It's it's interesting that this family thread has become the goalpost for this whole thing. So I'm interested to know what people think about them. Because I really am more caught up in the first one. I'm like, wait, what are these? What are these? So yeah, get in touch with us. At IlliteratePod on Instagram, and we will catch you next week.